Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. I think uh, most of us know that tomorrow is September the 11th, and for those of us who are old enough, uh, we remember exactly where we were and what we were doing uh, on that faded, dreadful day. I can tell you exactly where I was. And tomorrow gives us a great opportunity to stop and to remember uh, the lives of the people that were lost the families that were left behind that still deal with uh, the impact of that day on them and on our country. And it's a great reminder for us tomorrow to lift up those people in prayer, those people who lost, not the people who lost their lives, but the families left behind. Uh, and I think it's a great opportunity for us to lift up our country in prayer because if ever there was a time that this country is in need of godly leadership, it is now because we are living in what I can testimonial, testimonially say is the most ungodly time that I have experienced in my life. Uh, people have forsaken uh, God and values and character and morals and have gone their own way. And the Bible tells us that if that's what you desire, that God will turn you over to that. Uh, and again, our desire here is to repent uh, and that's why we have this thing on Wednesdays that we call our call to prayer, where we come together and we pray. But tomorrow is a special time for you, wherever you are, to remember the lives that were lost, the families left behind, the need that our country has, uh, and to lift that up in prayer. And then maybe join me and other people here on Wednesday from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., any time during that time. The auditorium is open, the worship music is on, the mood is set. It's up to you how you pray and what you pray. You can sit, you can stand, you can come at the foot of these steps, which we kind of call the altar. Um, just do whatever works for you. Uh, turn your phone off, don't talk, be focused on the prayer needs that you have, but also pray for our country, our community, uh, our leadership, our families, and, and pray for our church because most of you know, especially if you're visiting, you won't know this, this church is not like what it was before COVID. It's very different. People have opted not to return to church. I was in the bank, Wilson Bank, on Friday, and somebody walked up to me and said, hey, has your church ever recovered from COVID? And I said, not really, it hasn't. And that's the case in most places, not every place, but in most places, that people have just not returned to church, and we got lazy and we've looked for excuses. We can do everything else but go to church. But I'm telling you, you got to make this a priority. So again, if you're traveling and you can't join us online or you can't be here, then join us online. Many people are joining us on Facebook Live right now. We welcome them. We ask them, uh, comment below, share, let us know you're there. Uh, but again, it's important to know that you can engage in worship if you can't be here but Hebrews 10, 25 says, do not forsake the assembling of yourself together. It's about coming together in Jesus' name and worshiping him. So again, uh, tomorrow, use that as a time of, of, of reflection and prayer. And then join me here on Wednesday, if you can, 4 to 6 p.m. Well, we have been, the last two weekends, we have been looking at some really interesting interactions. And, and specifically, we looked at these interactions that Jesus had with Peter. Peter was one of Jesus's disciples. And the thing that's really interesting about the life of Peter is, I said it last week, 
Peter kind of is like us, and that's why we like Peter, because, again, we can see ourselves in him so much of the time, because Peter lived a life of what I call contradictions. He, he lived this life where, you know, he wanted to do the right thing, and he wanted to do one thing, the thing that was in the best interest of faith, the best interest of Jesus, but many times he found himself ending up doing something else. And again, while I'm not quite ready to jump into a series, I, I was looking back at the last two weeks, and I was just intrigued by the interactions that we looked at with Peter. But take that one step further, and I was, look, I was intrigued by the interactions that, that people have with Jesus and they've had with Jesus because those interactions that we see in Scripture, they're, they're always so interesting and telling as it came to the specific situations and circumstances that were actually happening in the lives of people. Because this morning, we're, we're going to look at a, a story. And, and this story really introduces us to something that I believe that every person here in the auditorium, all of those watching online and listening online, I believe this is something that we all struggle with. And here's what it is. You don't have to understand everything to believe in something. Look, look at it on the screen behind me because I want you to see it. Here's what, here's what I say. You don't have to understand everything to believe in something. See, many of us think we have to have all the answers, but that's not the case. See, here, here's one of the things. People will come up to me and they'll ask me questions. And, and, and can I just be honest with you? I, I sometimes love questions and sometimes I don't like questions. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just sometimes I'm in the mood to answer questions. And sometimes I'm not in the mood to answer questions. It's part of the call. It's, it, it, it's part of the thing that, you know, I do. And people want to know, well, what do we believe? And what do we think? And what, what do you think this meant? And what do you think that meant? But, you know, and again, can, can, I just, can I just say something? I think many times the, that we just major on the minors. We get all caught up in all these little things. And in light of eternity, a lot of the questions that we have, they don't make a lot of difference. I mean, we, you know, is the carpet supposed to be this or the carpet supposed to be that? The bass is too loud. The, the tenor is too loud. The song is too dark in here. I mean, again, please, just enjoy, just worship, just engage. Because in light of eternity, lights, fog, it don't make any difference. It's your heart. It's what you bring in here. But again, people will ask me questions about their faith. And they'll say things like this, Randy. How am I supposed to believe when some things in the Bible actually contradict each other? How do you explain some of the things in the Bible when one place says this and then one place says that? Or Randy, how can I actually believe that Jesus was actually resurrected from the dead on the third day when I didn't see it, and nobody was there to record it with TikTok. So I don't know that it actually happened. How can I believe that God is a loving God if he's going to send people to hell? Or how can I trust God when somebody abused my child? Or maybe you could say, how can I trust God 
when looking back at my life, somebody abused me. And it's when I hear those questions that I believe that something, when, they, when people ask those questions, there's been something that has happened in the lives of those people that has caused them to ask those questions. Because they've convinced themselves that they have to have the questions answered before they can believe. They have to have the answers to the questions before they can put their trust in something. They're the same people who says, you know what, I can't believe, I can't trust until I get every I dotted and every T crossed. And it's those people, which is a lot of us. This is the reason why the story that we're going to look at this morning from John chapter 9 is so important. Because it's in this story that we see this really cool interaction between Jesus and a blind guy. Now, let me tell you, I caught a lot of heck from this several years ago. I had, a, I had a people who were visiting. They got mad that I said what I said. But again, you're going to understand, I'm going to be open. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be transparent with you. And, and here's the thing. When I, when I see Jesus having this interaction with this blind guy that we have in chapter 9 of John, to me, it's like Jesus is pulling up in his truck off the interstate you know how those people sit at the interstate and they're sitting there, you know, usually with the sign? That's kind of the way I see this story transpiring. Jesus rolls up on this blind guy. And that's kind of the way I see. Here, here's what it says, John chapter 9. And, and again, the thing that's really interesting is this. The thing that we're going to learn from this interaction is that even though some things, come on now, here we go. Even though some things are unexplainable, we've got to know and understand that there are things that are undeniable. Are there things that you can't explain? Yes, but there are also things that you cannot deny. And if you choose to focus on the unexplainable, then you're never going to discover your faith. But if you embrace what is undeniable, then the unexplainable will not shipwreck your faith. John chapter 9, verse 1. Here's what it says. All of it's going to be on the screen behind me. If you have your Bible, you have your flashlight, your phone, whatever you need to do there to see it in your own translation, you'll see it on the screen here. Just follow along with me. I'm going to give you the prompts so you know what you need to know. It says, as he, that's Jesus, as he went along, as he pulled off of 40 at exit 236, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, they were riding in the back of the truck, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, here's the thing. I want you to understand this. I've got to give you context. If you're new to Crossroads, you want to hear me say this. I'm all about context because context of what is happening, it allows us to take something that happened 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago and to bring it into 2023 
and then apply it to our life. We have a blind guy. We have Jesus. We have the disciples. And in that culture, there's a question, why is this guy blind? In the culture, it was believed that if you were blind, that you were paying for your sin. Or that you're paying for the sin of someone else. So the question that kind of arises out of this interaction that Jesus is having with this blind guy is whose sin is this guy actually paying for? Because the interaction is with a blind guy. But what did Jesus just do? He made sure that we understood this is not about sin. And then Jesus does something that's really strange. He bends down on the ground and he spits. He spits on the ground, kneels down, and makes a little mud. Like Play Doh, kind of, you know, like the same consistency. And he puts that mud on the blind guy's eyes. And he tells him to go wash. Did you notice that? Wash. No R. Wash. If you'll go wash the mud off of your eyes, you'll be healed. Look at verse 8. Here's verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging out at exit 236 ask, Is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Now think about it. This guy has been healed. And suddenly there's a debate on, well, is this really him or is this not him? It's him? No, it's not. No, it's not. Well, maybe it is. And the people are arguing, are arguing about this. And the guy's like, oh, wait, wait a minute. Hello. I am the man. Can you guys stop arguing and call two fat men and have them bring the ice cream truck up here to celebrate? We're going to have a party. Because I've been blind from birth and now I can see. Look at verse 10. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and to wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. When he doesn't know where, when he can't answer, when he doesn't know where Jesus is, it begs the question, how did it happen? How then have your eyes been opened? But the guy's thinking, who cares? I've been blind since I was born. 
I have been blind my entire life. I've been a beggar my entire life, and now I can see, and all you want is an explanation for what's happening. I Listen to me. I was hoping for a party, maybe some cheesecake stuff, strawberries, or some gifts or something, but all you want is an explanation for what's happened. Who cares what's happened? Let's party. You know. Let's keep going. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath, a Sunday. Their Sunday, you know, different, but the same. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed. And now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, talking about Jesus, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others ask, how can a sinner do miraculous signs? So again, it's, it's, it's like they were divided. Like Republicans and Democrats, you know what I mean? They're divided. I don't really know, the guy says. I don't really know. All I know is I was blind and now I see. Will somebody go get them cheesecake stuffed strawberries? That's what I want. And the Pharisees started in, this man cannot be from God. Because we know what God is like. The Pharisees are saying this. We know what, the man who did the healing of this blind man cannot be from God because we know what God is like. And God would never do anything. He would never heal anybody on the Sabbath. In other words, we've got this nice little box That we have God in. And our God would not do a miracle on the Sabbath. And since we know beforehand what our God would and would not do, this man who did this could not be from God because we, the Pharisees, we know all things. In other words, what they're saying is what has happened. It doesn't make any sense with this God that they have created. They've created this God in the box. And therefore, since it doesn't line up with the God they've created, then it must not be from God. And we hear that or you read that and you think, I mean, how narrow-minded can these people be? They couldn't explain it. Therefore, they refuse it. They couldn't explain it, so they just refuse it. But they're not going to let it go. This, this is like the third impeachment, okay? They go after the guy's parents. Look, look at what it says, verse 18. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they ask? Is this the one who was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Well, well we, 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 you know, we know he's our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. 
But how he can see now or who is the one that opened his eyes, we don't know. So ask him because he's of age. He can just speak for himself. Let me freestyle here for just a minute. Who cares? Can you explain it? We don't know. We don't care. He can see. We're just glad now he can move off of the exit at exit 236 and he can get a job. I mean, the parents are thinking, why are we even having this conversation? Our son was blind and now he can see. In other words, why can't we just celebrate what is undeniable? But let's keep going. Verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples? Guess what happens next? They excommunicated the blind guy who can now see. They excommunicated him. No ice cream struck, no strawberries, no dateline, no 2020 story, no, no party, no nothing. And you think of this guy, you look at the day that this guy's had, he's gone from being blind to seeing to celebrating to being excommunicated. That sounds like the church sometimes, don't it? I mean, talk about cancel culture. There you go. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus talking to the blind guy. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. He's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And worshiped him. Just tell me who the man is. I'll do it. Well, don't you need an explanation? No, I don't need an explanation. I was blind and now I see. And you were the man who did it, so tell me what to do and I'll do it. I don't need no explanation. See, every once in a while, somebody will come up you know, and ask me a question. And one of the questions that I get is, Randy, do you ever have doubts? And, and, and can I just say, I have all kinds of doubts. And if I were to tell you this morning some of the doubts that I have, I could kick the legs of your faith right out from under you. Because when you've seen the things that I have seen and heard the things that I have heard, 
I'm just going to remind you, you don't want me to answer that question. You don't want to hear my doubts. But do you know when I really doubt? I start to doubt when I focus on the pieces that are missing. I start to doubt when I look at God and I say, God, but, but, but couldn't you have done this? But God, couldn't, couldn't you have stopped, I mean like September the 11th? Couldn't you have stopped that? Or, or, or maybe you look at somebody's family, the heritage, and there's something that's passed down. And, and you just question God, how does that happen? How does this get passed down? So I doubt. I doubt when I focus on the pieces that are missing. And you know what? That's when you doubt as well. I doubt when I get all hung up on the unexplainable and lose sight of what is undeniable. I got a picture in my hand. I'm going to show it to you in just a minute. But here's the thing I want to say to you this morning so that you understand this. From a half inch away, I can't tell anything about this picture. From like a half inch away, I can't tell you one, I can't answer one question about this picture. And from a half an inch from your face, you have no idea what this picture actually is. But from where you sit right now, you know exactly what this picture is. That's a picture of me with my family. Now, I have to say this. That was probably three or four hairstyles ago, okay? So anyway... From where you're sitting, you don't need to have those unexplainable questions. Because what you see in front of you is undeniable. You don't have to ask the unexplainable questions because what you see in front of you is undeniable. And see, here's the thing with me. I doubt when God doesn't act the way that I thought God was going to act. I start to doubt when God gets out of that little box that I often put him in. And I say, this is the way my God is. And this is the way that my God is going to act. I doubt when God lets things happen that I don't think he should have allowed to happen. I start to doubt when God doesn't answer my question. I start to doubt 
when God is unexplainable to me. And then all of a sudden, my faith begins to shrink. You know the mind that you have? It's an amazing thing. But you know your mind is also your worst enemy. You have 70,000 thoughts a day. But do you know that of those 70,000 thoughts that you have every day, only 5% of those thoughts or something new. And you know what that tells me? Some of you right now in this auditorium, watching online, listening online, are stuck in a loop of doubt because you're fixated on what is unexplainable. But see, here's the thing I can tell you about my life. When I began to shift my focus from the things that are unexplainable to the things that are undeniable, my faith soars, even though I have lots of unanswered questions. My, my faith just goes up and to the right. And some of you say, well, how much, Randy, how much faith does it take? That's the question. Look at the question. How much faith is enough? And when you think about that question you see behind me, again, we're, we're Christians, we're, we're church people, we're, we're followers of Jesus. We, we think the answer is really, it's got to be, you know, we've got to dissect it, we've got to look at it, we've got to go to, you know, all 66 books of the Bible, we've got to figure this out. Hey, it's, it's really complicated to answer. How much faith is enough? But it's not complicated. It's really a simple thing. You just need enough faith to come to Him. You just need enough faith to come to Jesus. It's not my job to conjure up a feeling of certainty. It's not my job to increase my faith. It's my job to come to Jesus. Come on. It's up to Him to increase my faith. That's His job. How much faith is enough? Enough faith to be authentic with Jesus. Enough faith to be real with Jesus. And here's the thing that I think is so amazing about Jesus. Look at the screen. Jesus prefers honesty to certainty. And that's what I love about him. You don't have to be sure, Crossroads. You just have to be real. So just come to him. Don't, don't try to force yourself to say, yeah, I, I can make myself believe this is going to happen. You don't have to do that. Just be real. Because forced insincerity 
It kills prayer. But sincerity and authenticity, when you and I break it down and we're just real with who we are in front of Jesus, that breathes life into prayer and into our relationship with him. And that's what's so good about this story from John chapter 9. The guy in this story just actually tethers what little bit of faith he has to Jesus. And look at what happens. There's something that I have been taught years ago. And I bet you've heard this too. It goes something like this. When you're praying, don't ask God for anything twice. Because if you ask Him for something twice, then He'll know that you didn't believe Him the first time. Now, I don't believe that's right. Because if He really is the ever-knowing, ever-present, omniscient God... Wouldn't he know that you doubted the first time? I mean, it's not like he's sitting up there in his lazy boy saying, well, I was going to give you what you asked for, Randy. But when you asked for it the second time, that was a dead giveaway, so I'm not going to give it to you now. That's not the way that I think it works. So let me tell you what's undeniable to me. You know what's undeniable? And you can, you can grab onto this. You know what's undeniable? is that you and I are here. Because the only alternative to creation is believing that something came out of nothing. And can I just tell you, I don't have enough faith to believe that. Do you know what I think is undeniable? I think it's undeniable that there is a creator. That's the starting place. And that's undeniable to me every time I see a sunrise, every time I see a sunset, every time I see a new baby born, every time I see Vanderbilt win a football game. Somebody took my jersey, that's why I'm wearing white today, okay? Here's the second thing that I think is undeniable. There is a thirst that every one of you in this room has. There is a thirst, a hunger that no earthly relationship can meet. No amount of money, no amount of success could ever meet the need that you have because there is something in you like in me that desires more. And do you know what I've discovered? Once I cross the line of faith, even though I can't explain some things as time goes by, it's like as time goes by, some of those missing people pieces start to come together. And some of those deep questions that I had, 
they're not as big of a question anymore. See, when I look at the church and talk to some of you and look at other churches and follow things on social media and just follow culture, there's this, there's this desire right now for deeper teaching. It's a real push that I see in Christianity right now. Deeper teaching. It's not a surprise. It's not a surprise at all that we want more because we're living in what I call the information age. We know more about everything right now than we ever have. But it calls to me to go back to my childhood. To look at the lyrics of some songs that you probably know. See, there's a song that says, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Jesus loves me, this I know. As he loved so long ago. Taking children to his knee. Saying, let the little ones come to me. Jesus loves me, he will stay. Close beside me all the way. Thou hast bled and died for me. I will henceforth live for thee. Or maybe that other song that goes something like this. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the wind and the rain in his hands. He's got the sun and the moon in his hands. He got the little bitty baby in his hands. He's got everybody here in his hands. And see, I think about the lyrics of those songs. And it forced me to ask a question. Do I believe he's a good God? And the answer to that question is I do. But listen to me, if I believe he's a good God, then I have to believe that everything that comes my way is for my good. So listen to me. You don't have to understand everything to believe in something. Because there are always going to be pieces that are unexplainable. But in light of the unexplainable, there is so much that is undeniable. And a wise person is the person who says this. I will shift my focus from what is unexplainable 
to what is undeniable. So if you're here watching, listening online, and you have doubts, let me welcome. Welcome you to the show. Just be real about that. Because the challenge is not that you have doubts. The challenge is what are you going to focus on? Or maybe you're here and you're, you're coming along. But this whole thing has been your big issue. And you've said, as soon as I get my questions answered, I'm going to trust Jesus. As soon as I get all my questions answered, as soon as I get every I dotted and every T crossed, then I can trust Jesus. Let me tell you, you will never get them answered. You will never understand it all. Because it's okay to question. And it's okay to dig. But at some point, listen to me, Crossroads, you have to come to the place where you say, I don't have to understand everything to believe in something. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, we're so thankful for these interactions that Jesus had with his disciples, with Peter, with other people. Because the context, the importance of bringing those into our day and our time is that it allows us to understand things that even we doubt and even we question. God, I believe in this room and watching and listening online are, are literally hundreds of people who have felt bad about their doubt, have felt bad about their questions. And, and today the, the, the underlying truth is that it's okay to doubt. But be honest about it. Be real about, about it. And just bring it to Jesus. And let Jesus do what only He can do. He's the one that will increase our faith. It's not your job to increase your faith. That's up to Him. Come to Him. Be real. Be sincere. Be authentic. Maybe today's the day that you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've walked in doubt. Maybe you've walked in sin. And you know that inside of you there's a thirst, there's a hunger for something more. Can I tell you what it is? It's a relationship with Jesus. Nothing this world can meet, only Him. And maybe today, right where you're seated in this auditorium, in your car, in your home, in your office, it's not about the prayer, it's not about the words, it's about your heart, it's about what you express to God Himself. And maybe you just say right there where you are, God, today, that thirst, that, 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 that hunger that I have, I want that to be met. And I know that any earthly relationship, there's none that can do that. So today, I want to come to you, God, and to put my faith in Jesus. Because he alone paid the price that I could not pay for the debt that I owed that he did not owe, but he paid the debt by going to the death on the cross, by being buried and resurrected on the third day. And now he sits beside the Father interceding for us. But it's his sacrifice, it's his blood that covers the multitude of your sins. And today, right where you are, however you want to verbalize that, it's a, it's a decision of the heart. But maybe you just say, God, right now I want to come to you, believing that Jesus is who he says he is and that he has done what he said he would do in my life. And you repent, you turn from your sin, 
and you place your faith in Jesus. Listen to me, Crossroads, even with your questions. I have questions. I have doubts. But you ask him to lead, to guide, and he promises that he will never forsake you. If that's a decision that you've made today or at some point before today, the next step is baptism. A public profession of an inward decision that you've made. Indicate that on that card that's a part of your worship guide. God, for the rest of us, we are so thankful that a price was paid, a sacrifice was made, that blood was shed so that we may be forgiven of the sin that is a part of our life. There will always be things, God, that are unexplainable. But there is so much more that is undeniable. And we don't have to know everything to believe in something. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will do what he said he will do and that one day we will spend eternity with you and with him and with our brothers and sisters as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
question and you start to doubt, and you will because I do, just remember, I don't have to know everything to believe in something.